Hello, everyone. Welcome to this week's Social Action Briefing. Thank you very much for listening uh, as we record. Uh, we have a special afternoon recording, Wednesday afternoon, April 6th. Uh, I am Craig Milch, and I'm joined by Professor Jessica Mitchell. Hello, Jess. Hey, Craig. So um, we don't have uh, America's favorite segment, queued up, but mm-hmm. we have our other recurring segment uh, to start off with, which is uh, another example of uh, GOP voter fraud. So this time it is uh, Matt Mowers, the pronunciation and being an assumption of mine, uh, who is uh, running in the Republican primary um, for New Hampshire's first congressional district currently held by Chris Pappas, that he, this guy, uh, Matt Mowers, has previously lost to before. Um, it turns out that he cast an absentee ballot in uh, New Hampshire's 2016 presidential primary. Um, and now, uh, contrary to what Donald Trump would have you to believe, that is not the voter fraud. Uh, casting absentee ballot is not <laughs> what we're calling voter fraud. Four months later, um, after Governor, uh, former New Jersey Governor Chris Christie, uh, his uh, campaign uh, ended, uh, Mowers, who was working on that campaign, uh, cast another ballot in the New Jersey uh, Republican presidential primary after he used his parents' address to re-register in his home state. Um, he went on to be a senior advisor in the Trump administration and uh, later held a State Department post. So, um, yeah, he's uh, working for the administration that cares very deeply about voter fraud after casting two ballots in one election. Let me just add that we tell you these things because it's news, not because we are in any way encouraging you to do this. It's wrong. Don't do it. Yeah. Don't participate in this. Don't encourage other people to participate in this. If you already no. vote in an election, don't do it again. Yeah, correct. All that correct. And um, and this goes for our next segment, too. So, we, I mean, we, we keep bringing up these things because, I mean, the nature of sort of like our news cycle is things happen and they get memory hold. But a lot of this stuff is ongoing. So, for instance, there is another opinion on the shadow docket of the Supreme Court. Um, this time, it was a 5-4 decision um, against the Clean Water Act. So it was a, so a, a rule um, during the Trump administration that uh, subverted the Clean Water Act by restricting the ability of states and tribes to block projects uh, that will damage the environment and legally diminish water quality. So that was reversed in court and then revived by uh, via the shadow docket. Um, and this this happens uh, there, there was no opinion in this uh, in this instance and this um, on Monday, Amy Coney Barrett said to, quote, read the opinion uh, to decide if a Supreme Court decision sounds like law-free policymaking. And that is exactly what happened in this case. It was so egregious that Justice Kagan got uh, Chief Justice Roberts to join the dissent, which is the first time he's joined an opinion criticizing the use of the shadow docket, um, which was called the emergency docket in the opinion. Um, presumably to get him on board because Republicans don't like calling it the shadow docket. Um, as uh, Mark Joseph Stern mentions, uh, they Republicans consider that a slur. It was either him or Steve Vladek. That's sort of, they were the sourcing for, for this. Um, but yeah, the abuse of the shadow docket continues. Um, and um Speaking of abuse by conservatives, there is um, the mm-hmm. so Rick Scott basically has released what is the closest thing to the GOP agenda um, in a number of years. Like in the last presidential campaign, the agenda was just almost literally whatever Donald Trump wants. They didn't have a platform. Um, and then in this case, Mitch McConnell did not want. Uh, 
any sort of platform or agenda to be released, um, which makes sense because it's going to be completely un- unpopular, at least on you know the economic side with with the base, if they really find out what it is, um, and just not not just the base, just the electorate. You know, the this is why uh, Republicans fight their culture wars so hard aside from their own personal bigotry is to get their base on their side because their uh, Paul Ryan-esque economic, trickle-down economics platform that gives uh, tax cuts to the wealthy and corporations in order to cut social services is actually unpopular even um, with Republicans when they explain to them. So that being said, um, so Don Moynihan, who is a professor at Georgetown's McCord School of Public Policy, called the plan, quote, a fever dream of the unconstitutional and impossible, a blueprint for tanking the U.S. economy, destroying state capacity, state-sanctioned discrimination, and removing individual rights. Um, and having glanced through it, uh, that's pretty accurate. Um, Matt Iglesias made the point that under Scott's plan, the VA couldn't pay the salaries of any doctors, um, and it would be illegal for any domestic agency to employ any professional with over 12 years of experience in any capacity. Um, so, you know, sort of the prime, what's sort of getting the most press is that um, the plan includes a regressive tax hike on low income groups. The plan calls for taxing the income over half of Americans who do not pay taxes now. Um, families making 54,000 or less would pay more than 80% of the tax increase. Um, additionally, the plan um, includes a sunsetting of all federal laws. So they would all have to get you know, constantly renewed. Um, Congress would have to reconsider one-fifth of all federal legislation every year, which is a ridiculous workload um, for Congress that uh, where it's hard enough to, for them to do anything anyway. Um, and it would also, you know, obviously make it hard for ind- individuals and businesses to function um, under that level of uncertainty, you know, with you know, Medicare, Social Security, taxes, all kinds of stuff. Every law would be uh, uncertain, pretty much. Um, it also proposes to move federal employees out of D.C., which um, is a kind of a strange thing to propose when uh, five-sixths of civilian federal employees uh, already are out of D.C., um, which was pointed out by Moynihan. Um, when, uh, when Trump forced the Department of Agriculture scientists to relocate Kansas City to Kansas City, for example, um, it led to uh, about 75% of the staff just leaving um, and obviously um, harmed the work of the division. Um, It also includes term limits for Congress and bureaucrats. Um, that was sort of what Iglesias was referencing about not being able to employ any professional with over 12 years of experience. Um, I think Moynihan made the point that term limits being bad for Congress is like the only thing that you can get political scientists to agree on, actually. And it's even worse, you know, for bureaucrats where institutional knowledge is very important for a functioning government, um, which just serves to underline that, you know, the GOP being the quote limited government party, they really just want um, to break it to prove that it can't function. But of course, it's we'll get to it. But they're not limited when trying to like control uh, LGBTQ people and their families and whatnot. Or pregnant people. Um, yeah, I mean bureaucrats. The whole point of the civil service system is to make sure that they get to stay there no matter who's in office. So if you want to have a discussion about term limits for Congress, that's one thing. Uh, But having any kind of term limit for bureaucrats really just, just is so not the point of a bureaucracy. (laughs) Yeah. 
I mean, there are people who, (laughs) you know, I worked with in government that had literally been there forever and they were hardcore Trumpers that, (laughs) that I was working with. But when you're talking about the person who runs the printing department or who is the maintenance person who literally knows where everything is, those are the people you want there forever. I didn't care that they were Republicans. Like they were so helpful (laughs) the Mm -hmm. whole time I was in government (laughs) and and there was never any sense from them at all that they were going to give less help to the Democrats in the building. And they were helpful to anybody who went to them and asked for help, including when I first got there and the head of the printing department, I was complaining when I went to go get my business cards made that they had messed up my email address and only put Jay Mitchell <laughs> called the <laughs> called IT for me and had them fix it. <laughs> So that it was JJ Mitchell, which is what all of my logins are instead of just J Mitchell. <laughs> you didn't yeah. have to do that. Yeah. And I mean, and the, yeah, imagine them knowing like they have to leave their job after 12 years. There's going to be a shift in, you know, what they value in terms of, you know, they're going to be more focused on getting skills to, you know, uh, join like the private workforce rather than, you know, just developing in you know, their role, you know, to make uh, our government function well. Yeah. And I mean, look, they like the, no, you just, you can't, I mean, we can have a discussion about Congress or the presidency, although I think it has had drastic negative effects on the presidency since there has been term limits, but really like the bureaucracy, you just, you cannot do that. These people are supposed to be there. They're not, and this is the, this is the fundamental difference is that they are not the decision makers. They are the implementers, Congress, the legislatures, the executives, they are the ones that are making the decisions about policy and what is going to get funded and what isn't going to get funded. And then it's the bureaucrats that are actually implementing these policies. They should be there forever. Yeah. Well, until the um, you know, don't, don't work your whole life. <laughs> but- <laughs> yeah. um, Scott also wants to cut the IRS by 50%, even though between 1992 and 2020, um, the IRS staff was already cut by 35%, even as the population grew by 28%. Uh, the agency currently has one staff person for every 16,000 calls it gets. So, um, you know, this if this plan is enacted, all it would really do is make customer service worse and uh, enable tax evasion by the wealthy. Um, and it's worth noting here that Rick Scott pre- presided over at the time, it was the largest and remains one of the largest cases of Medicare fraud um, in U.S. history. The company that he was the CEO of had to pay $1.7 billion um, in, uh, in fines or in, through a settlement after they uh, defrauded Medicare. And this man is the Senate, one of the two senators from Florida. And the other one is arguably worse, so. True. So that's saying something. Um, So they also want to eliminate non-essential workers um, in in the federal government. So basically, federal government is essential. Yeah, um, and (laughs) there really aren't that many of them. People think that the federal government is this huge bloated bureaucracy, but for a country our size it's probably smaller than it should be. And these people don't get paid a ton of money. Yeah. And, you know, with this non-essential language, what it basically means is they would get rid of every single employee that doesn't stay during a government shutdown. That's where, that's what that designation is used for. When, when the government shut down, all non-essential workers don't work, don't get paid. And that's what uh, Rick Scott and the, the GOP want to be the normal state of things in the government, um, which is nuts. Um, they also want to balance the budget, which Moynihan says would create a 1930s style depression. 
um, in terms of you know the level of cuts that would need to be made to various functions and services um, or raising taxes to crazy levels, but which they probably wouldn't want to do, but just um, not not really useful or beneficial in any way. Um, there's also a bunch of unconstitutional things they want to do, like, uh, uh, quote, kids in public schools will say the Pledge of Allegiance, stand for the national anthem and honor the flag. Um, I was not out. standing for the Pledge of Allegiance before it was a problem. And you know what? It wasn't a problem. <laughs> it still isn't a problem. I think there was one teacher that said something to my brother for not standing one time and he said i you can't make me and that was like the end of it <laughs> and he was right and uh he should he was right and he knew that he wasn't <laughs> he wasn't saying it to be a bratty child he was saying it because he was actually correct that she was not allowed to force him to stand for the pledge but we were all always a pain in the ass this is not new information for anyone who's ever met any of us <laughs> so yeah with the whole first amendment thing unclear how they can uh, enforce this they can't it's not unclear they just can't um also mentions implementing a line item veto which is already ruled unconstitutional by the supreme court um there's also the usual uh parental surveillance school choice and other stuff that's in all the crt bills that are going around the country we won't delve too far into that again um but two uh two like bullet points of note within all that which you don't often see are eliminating tenure for teachers and abolishing the department of education so there's this whole section on we're gonna make parents do this and students do this and teachers do this and then also we're gonna abolish the, the doe so um it's nuts and also unclear how that would even work um which goes back to the original quote about this whole plan. But anyway, um, they also want to stop asking about race on forms. So, uh, you know, because it's not an issue anymore, right? You just, it's, uh, there's this dumb language in there um, about, like, because if you ask about race on the form, it's because Democrats are trying to divide up faces of race, which is rich. Um, and uh, I mean, it's basically, what they're really doing is, you know, if you if you're not if you can't track it, you know, it's it's the same thing that Donald Trump wanted to do. You know, he didn't want to test the people on the cruise ship because that would make the numbers go up. If you mm -hmm. ask about race on census forms and other forms, mm -hmm. you can you know detect racial disparities. Um, so. If we can't see it, it doesn't exist, right? Yeah, that's that's uh, what they are doing all over the place in all kinds of areas. Um, Here's a nice quote. Socialism will be treated as a foreign combatant, which aims to destroy our prosperity and freedom. Um, hmm. <laughs> it doesn't really need much explanation for how crazy that is. <laughs> um, there's also, uh, they want to outlaw automatic voter registration and same day voter registration. Um, while also stating the goal of uh, having better participation. So they just want to eliminate things that actually increase participation makes a whole lot of sense. Um, there is also the safety and crime section that uh, John Pfaff was a professor at Fordham Law School. I love him. I have his book. I met him. I had coffee. Oh, really? Yeah, a couple of years ago. Oh. Yeah, so um, his quote about this section is, quote, there is literally nothing remotely serious about this proposal at all. Um, so we'll just do a little rundown of this section. So the quote from the, from the plan, we will fund the police and stop all efforts to defund or reimagine policing. Hmm. Um, where FAF points out most of the funding is at the state and local level. Um, and then the quote, the feds will never create a grant program that will move the needle much. Plus, evidence suggests cities know that money is fungible. Very true. Um, another quote from the report, we will bring back respect for people who put their lives on the line to keep us safe. Um, again, unclear how Congress will do that when they have, you know, it's an entity that pulls terribly and uh, is not really respected on the broader public. So I don't know how they're just going to 
change opinions by mandate. Um, another quote, we will support mandatory strict minimum sentences for all assaults involving serious injury to law enforcement officers, um, which this is something that already exists in every state. Um, and it's not something that can be federalized. So that's a dumb point. Also, um, <laughs> quote, we will strengthen qualified immunity and legal protections for law enforcement officers to protect them from frivolous lawsuits. Um, it's just absurd to want to strengthen qualified immunity. Um, it's not too strong as it is and shouldn't be a thing. Yeah. Um, but it's also to strengthen it like instead of just allowing or looking the other way when police murder people we're just going to give them carte blanche to do it whenever they want like what how are you going to strengthen it <laughs> yeah so i mean and for one thing uh qualified immunity was sort of created by uh the courts um but i but faf posited that they could amend section 1983 to have stronger language um it's just ridiculous. Um, another quote, we will demand a nationwide crackdown on theft and violent crime by imposing stiffer penalties so we can restore law and order to our city streets. Um, and again, this is something that Congress only could do for federal crimes, so it wouldn't really apply to things like shoplifting or just stabbing somebody randomly on the street. Um, so it's, you know, it's all just puffery um, and demagoguery and nonsense. Um, another one is that we will force prosecutors to prosecute. At present, many prosecutors in big cities are allowing criminals to go free with no justice, and they are doing it on purpose. Um, again, uh, federal government can't do that um, outside of some narrow cases like with guns or drugs. Um, next, we will make it a federal crime for any prosecutor, including the US DOJ, to pursue prosecution based on political ideology. Um, and Faf points out that prosecutors are an elected position, so it is a political job, and every prosecution is based on political ideology. Um, next, we will eliminate no-knock warrants in any case that does not involve violent crime which is good. Uh, it's an actual good thing in here, but again, Congress can only do that for federal crimes, um, which obviously is not the bulk of crimes. Um, next one, we will increase penalties for spousal abuse and failure to pay child support. Um, here's the quote from Faf: not a total fever dream like some of the other proposals, but limited in scope of reach. Uh, next, we will enact Marcy's Law, which ensures victims of crimes have rights and constitutional protections equal to those who commit crimes. Um, and according to FAF, Marcy's Law is a victim rights bill that numerous victim rights, victims' rights groups have opposed. It's also already being used by police to avoid accountability. Um, and it's taken constitutional amendments for states to adopt. Congress can't impose it on them. Last bullet on uh, this section, we will open every attempt to deny our second amendment freedoms and we'll defend our gun rights always at all costs. And uh, Faf's quote, the reach of gun control laws lies in the end of states and limits on state law that uh, SCOTUS, not Congress imposes via its reading of the second amendment. So, um, I mean, the whole the whole sort of like criminal justice section is um, it's just stuff. Well, like you said, not remotely serious. Um, and it's just uh, like pro police messaging without any um, like connection to how things actually really work. I mean, um, I think that's what most of this sort of stuff is, is just, they really don't have any kind of fundamental understanding of the way that government works at all. And they don't care. They just want to rile up their base and help as few people as humanly possible. Yeah. And then, uh, and like Rick Scott's out here 
saying that it's not going to raise taxes on people, just like while it's blatantly in the plan too. Um, I think there are 11 sections here, um, but we'll just go over a third and then sort of move on, um, which is, uh, so it's the gender life science section, which is largely just a culture war attack on trans people. Um, it starts with, uh, quote, men and women are biologically different. And then a quote from the Bible, male and female, he created them, which apparently is uh, from Genesis. Um, a few bullets, abortion kills human children. To deny that is to deny science. Uh, whether you believe in God or not, as a civilized people who accept science, we must protect babies born and unborn from all acts of violence. All government policies will favor having more babies adopted, not aborted. Mm. <laughs> so just uh, just very anti-abortion, obviously, um, and just very like theocratic as well. Um, so Parker Malloy uh, had a breakdown of um, the anti-trans uh, bullets, one being, no government forms will include questions about gender identity or sexual preference. Um, this would make it harder to have accurate documentation for trans people, which can lead to outing. Um, another bullet, humans are born male and female. There are two genders and to deny that is to deny science. Um, a quote from Parker, uh, that's just flat out false. Even if you wanna say, that to take a swipe at trans people, um, that ignores the fact that intersex people exist and don't always comfortably fit within the male-female binary. So yeah, it's just uh, just not a not true thing. Next, uh, no doctor will be allowed to perform irreversible surgical or gender-altering procedures on any minor child. Once they become adults, they can do what they wish. So this is. Uh, trying to portray a vision in which children are being put through irreversible surgeries and pumped full of hormones. Um, that's uh, okay. Look, there. First of all, one, children are not getting voluntary surgeries. On the yeah. whole, it's a rare occurrence that someone is able to get any voluntary surgery before the age of eighteen. However. Yeah. If you, you know, don't like your nose or want a boob job, we like might do it at 16, but only to make them bigger, not to make them smaller, because this is a society that we live in. And our expectation is that people are going to want larger, not smaller breasts. So we're okay with that. And we want smaller noses, but not bigger noses. And we're okay with that. Um, but again, yeah, there are some people under the age of 18 that are pumping themselves through full of hormones. And I was one of them, <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's, there are plenty of people that are doing it because they want to transition or they want to halt, you know, puberty and just give themselves more time to figure out exactly what it is that they would, you know, like to do. And that's completely fine. Um, and there's plenty of people that are just loading themselves up for, uh, you know, full of hormones because they have really bad periods. Hi, that's what I did for years and still do because that's what I want to do. And no one has a problem with that. And no one gives a shit, you know, if, if it's medically necessary. However, we don't take into consideration psychologically necessary. Um, and we should, because that is just as important as medical necessity. Yeah, um, and uh, Moloy makes the point, you know, they're basically just trying to force kids to go through puberty. The actual process is slow and deliberate with varying degrees of uh, reversibility. Um, her piece uh, kind of, it quotes heavily from like the medical standards, which lays it out. Um, the uh, last bullet we'll touch on here. Um, we will protect women's sports by banning biological males from competing. It mm -hmm. is hugely unfair and would really erase many of the gains women have made in athletics over the past 50 years. Um, we've on this podcast covered how dumb this, uh, this is and how disingenuous it is. Um, and Parker Malloy's piece, they point out, you know, that, it's a complicated issue and some, and it depends on a lot of factors. Some that were offered, um, what sport are we talking about? How old are the competitors? How long has the trans woman in question been on hormones? 
did the trans woman in question go through testosterone driven puberty or not? Um, you know, it's a, it is, it's a, it, you know, it's a complicated issue. It's rare. You know, there aren't a lot of trans like kids or people trying to compete, um, you know, at a high level. Um, and it's, you know, like the, it's the demagoguery that we discussed and, and just trying to make people's lives miserable. Mm. And that is what the Republican party is all about. Um, so I guess to sort of uh, cleanse ourselves of that disgustingness mm-hmm. of the uh, GOP platform, uh, we'll move on to talk about some good news. The, uh, the Amazon warehouse in Staten Island, um, it, was, it has 8,000 employees um, in this warehouse. Amazon's the second largest employer before this week. There were no unions, but the uh, the Staten Island warehouse did unionize. It's the only only the second Amazon facility to hold a union election. The first, um, I believe, we talked about was a mail ballot held um, in Bessemer, Alabama, that was invalidated by the National Labor Relations Board after it found that Amazon had improperly interfered in the election uh, oh, by having a mailbox installed in the facility's parking lot. Um, the leader, Christian Smalls, um, had been uh, fired for organizing, um, and uh, the, top, the top executives planned to smear him as, quote, not smart or articulate. Um, uh, quote from, uh, from Smalls himself uh, to... Steve Greenhouse uh, over at um, the, well, he wrote this uh, piece in Slate, I believe. Um, And he said, so Small said, quote, they said it, they'd make me the whole face of the union effort against Amazon. I'm I'm trying to make them eat their words. Uh, Small said the success of the the union drive um, and for others like it, is worker to worker organizing workers who know the stresses and strains of working at Amazon, talking to other workers, um, similar to uh, what happened with Starbucks. Um, so in this election, uh, it was 2,654 to 2,131. So the win was by uh, more than 10%. The union promises to seek longer rest breaks um, and a minimum of pay, a minimum pay of $30 an hour up from about 18 where it's at now. Um, They're also going to seek paid sick leave, paid time off for injuries sustained on the job and other demands. Um, Broadly, uh, the percentage of workers in unions has declined from one in three in the fifties to one in five in the eighties and then to one in 10 now. So hopefully what's going on with Amazon and Starbucks and elsewhere um, is the start of something. Um, today, uh, Joe Biden was uh, speaking at a conference of North America's building trade unions uh, workers. And he said, uh, by the way, Amazon, here we come. Um, you know, they, and uh, reemphasized his administration's support of the PRO Act. So he remains sort of the most solidly pro-union president uh, pretty much ever. And of course, in a statement, Amazon says it's now going after the U.S. National Labor Relations Board mm-hmm. to dispute this result. Um, I'm shocked. Right? Yeah. Uh, Jody Cantor at the New York Times sort of delved further into sort of how this happened, how the victory happened. One, uh, which was alluded to before, is knowledge. So the workers know, you know, every curve and joint of this warehouse was uh, uh, Jody's words. Um, Quote, Chris Smalls and Derek Palmer opened the place in 2018. Last winter, they drove to Bessemer, Alabama to check out a similar drive and felt it was too outsider driven. Um, Two, human contact. JFK 8 is super anonymous, management by machine, 2 a.m. shifts, wind slip location with no bar or nearby place to gather. 
organizers built their own with bonfires to warm workers during bus waits, uh, songs, and even projected Squid Game episodes. Three, food uh, to provide a sense of warmth and connect with diverse workers. The organizers fed everyone with cookouts, empanadas, West African rice, uh, Chris Smalls's uh, aunt made mac and cheese, candy yams, collard and collards and baked chicken. Um, so there's basically, you know, a sense of community that was formed um, juxtaposed with Amazon's harsh tax tactics, um, which you know consists of like required attendance at anti-union meetings. Um, they spend up to $3,200 an hour on lawyers. They spent $4.3 million on anti-union consultants in 2021 alone. Um, and then there's, so there's an internal chat app that they're going to be releasing. And the list of banned words that was leaked is pretty hilarious. Um, I hate as a term is banned. And then some uh, union, fire, terminated, compensation, pay raise, bullying, harassment. I don't care. Rude. This is concerning, stupid, this is dumb, prison, threat, petition, grievance, injustice, diversity, ethics, fairness, accessibility, vaccine, senior ops, living wage, representation, unfair, favoritism, rate, TOT, I don't know what that means, uh, unite slash unity, plantation, slave, slave labor, mm -hmm. master, concerned, freedom, restrooms, robots, trash, committee, coalition. So uh, I feel like that says a lot. Um, and it does, it says a lot that Joe Biden, President Joe Biden said, uh, Amazon, here we come. And I think he said, like, just watch something like that. So pretty remarkable. Um, and, you know, I think it's, it's been clear for a while, you know, that, um, like a big way to sort of counteract all this you know, inequality and, and uh, loss of like workers' rights and, you know, not being, not having a living wage and not being able to live is, you know, a strong uh, labor movement. So. Yeah. Um, well, as know, unions have declined in this country, the wage has also declined. I mean, there's just no denying that. And we, have to start unionizing again. We have to get over the fact that, you know, the new equivalent to a manufacturing job is a warehouse job. Understand that that job is just as necessary as those manufacturing jobs used to be. And that we need to respect that and understand that those people need to be unionized just like the manufacturing union, you know, workers used to have. Yep. Yeah, Walmart, Target, Amazon, all those all of them that is the new equivalent it is a different world that we live in and we have to understand that these jobs are very necessary and that these people need to be paid a living wage yeah and uh, i believe union jobs are a strong component of the green new deal as well just saying <laughs> um so now that we're on our pro-union high we can talk about a bunch of negative crap unfortunately well, actually two just two negative sections uh, that are planned here in the Vamoose. But um, so in light of um, the uh, anti-trans uh, guidance happening in Texas, uh, there is an article in AP about what's been happening with the CPS workers investigating trans kids and their families. Um, Aside from it being, you know, just wrong and horrendous on its face, they're also being very sketchy about these investigations. Uh, workers were instructed to only use personal devices or face-to-face -face contact and not uh, state email or phone. They're not giving the cases names or case numbers. Um, the workers are told that these are, quote, special assignments that are, quote, being monitored. Um, Abbott's instructions to Texas child welfare officials takes aim at treatments for children that include puberty blockers and hormone therapy, um, which you know we're obviously seeing is very common in these attacks. Um, and it's demoralizing the workers unsurprisingly and making a lot of them quit. So one uh, 
So in quote in the article is a child welfare supervisor who's worked at the Texas Department of Family and Protective Services for six years and quit last month. Her name is uh, Randa Mullinex. She said that if the investigations were to resume, she considers it unlikely that any children would be removed from their homes around Texas's biggest cities, which are controlled by Democrats, and where some county officials have already said they would reject such cases. Um, but in the event of a finding of harm, which is what uh, you know the higher ups are pushing for, um, so Molnex said in the event of that, uh, putting in place what are usually other safety plans doesn't make sense uh, in this situation. Um, the options typically include required parental supervision or services such as therapy, um, which Molnex said some of the families might already be doing. And uh, her quote was that it was just a complete betrayal of the department. So, you know, these are, I mean, this is, and this is just focusing really just on the workers. You know, imagine what it's doing to these families, just uh, imaginable, like unimaginable cruelty uh, just levied on, on these innocent people. And, um, you know, obviously CPS is already a pro uh, problematic institution and it's just, being directed to be even more cruel than it already is. Um, yeah, the fact that this is still what they're supposed to be doing in Texas should be a real embarrassment to anybody from Texas. Yeah, um, and I believe, uh, yeah, Dorothy Roberts came out with a book this week uh, called Torn Apart um, about the yes. uh, child protective like, system. Um, the, the subtitle is how child, uh, welfare system destroys black families and how abolition can build a safer world. Um, so I, I mean, it came out this week. I haven't read it yet, but I'm pretty comfortable in recommending it anyway. Um, and, uh, closer to home in, uh, New York city, uh, mayor Eric Adams has commenced his uh, sweeps of homeless encampments. The administration so far has identified 244 encampments and have cleared 239. They claim to give 24 hour notice, but uh, advocates have claimed that it happened without notice. Um, a side note that Bill de Blasio removed about 250 sites every two weeks in 2021. So it's not like this is new um but uh a lot of a lot of quotes surrounding this is that you know it's very similar to uh the rudy giuliani days um studies have shown that the cost of clearing encampments including law enforcement sanitation courts jails emergency rooms is approximately two to three times the cost of just providing people housing a report in la from 2015 showed that of the $100 million the city spent on homelessness, 87 million of that went to law enforcement. Uh, just uh, an example of how that sort of works in this country. Um, so there was an announcement by the Adams administration of 350 safe haven beds, which is generally considered to be single occupancy rooms with a key access to bathrooms and social services. Uh, they also provide privacy and autonomy, no curfews or other restric uh, restrictions. Um, you know, these are things that traditional shelters lack. Uh, but when the city issued pictures of the safe haven sites, they look more like a congregate setting anyway. Um, so there's, in this, uh, this article is in Curbed. Um, there are a list of reasons that we've talked about that people avoid shelters. Theft threat of physical violence, poor security staff, overly complicated rule systems, harsh treatment by staff. Uh, one survey respondent noted the quote, K2 stench all day. Um, another reason is that people have to be separated from their families, their loved ones, including children. Uh, many shelters have curfews that make odd hour employment impossible. And of course, uh, we're there, there's still a pandemic going on, which, um, you know, makes congregate shelters all the more dangerous. Uh, advocates want outreach, you know, in these encampments to offer housing solutions well in advance of the clearing. 
um, rather than like concurrently, which is what seems to be happening if if there's any sort of outreach. Um, and uh, Eric Adams claims that belongings are stored when they clear these encampments, but uh, people on the ground are saying that's not what's happening. And uh, workers are claiming there's no way to store these belongings and uh, items like social security cards and medications are just being tossed. So, um, yeah, that is not uh, not how you solve uh, a housing crisis or people experiencing houselessness. It's really not. And I don't understand why people are so upset about the fact that there are people that don't have a place to live while simultaneously don't feel like doing anything to assist people who don't have anywhere to live. Like everyone, everyone who is listening to this is way closer to not having a place to live than they are to being a millionaire. <laughs> and it's just, if you were in that situation, how would you want to be treated? Yeah. And I, I mean, so the, uh, the New York state budget as of like, like before, you know, as of the recording was still pending. Um, and I think that the, like converting hotels, I don't think it was like expected to be in the budget, even though it like originally was in, I think Hulkle's uh, executive budget. Um, so yeah, and yeah, we we expected to uh, be able to kind of delve into what was in the budget, but yeah, it's still um, still pending, um, and I don't know. Uh, I, like, I wouldn't be surprised if um, these reform rollbacks are sort of a big sticking point. The, um, you know, Speaker Hasty and uh, and uh, Assembly Leader uh, Cousins, right? I think is her name. Yeah, it's um, Andrea Stewart Cousins. Oh, Stewart Cousins. Yeah, Andrea Stewart Cousins. They're, I mean, if I had to guess, I would think that they are pushing back because that's been sort of what they've stated in public is that they don't want to roll back bail reform, discovery reform, raise the age. Um, and for some reason, Hochul does. So it's not, it's an opaque process that uh, has not yet ended. I honestly think that she is just concerned that uh what's her that Cuomo is gonna primary her and she's like trying to distinguish herself from him like this was his problem and his fuck up and now she's different than him which is ridiculous that wait but what's the problem in the fuck up that that, that he screwed up on bail reform yeah because people are mad about it and look like there were some things that were included in there that probably shouldn't have been included in there but (laughs) like what Besides the point, there were some like sexually based crimes that were initially included in there that were like quickly excluded. Like they maybe should have read over the like list of of, you know, included crimes or or accusations of crimes um, a little more diligently. And it was rectified, but people are mad and it just allowed the continuous, you know, criticism of the law over all of these years. Um, and there are legitimately people that are mad about bail reform. I'm not one of them, but there are people who are actually mad about it because they don't understand what bail is, because they don't particularly care about human rights. And I think that she is trying to use this to be like, this was Cuomo's like mass, you know, messed up situation. Like we're going to fix it and make it better um, by rolling it back and making those people that are mad about it happy. Rolling back discovery form is a ridiculous thing to do. Rolling back either one of them is ridiculous, but yeah. I mean, even, even more so because like all it is, is just like providing the evidence to the defense in advance of the trial, right? Like, and then there is a story about all these prosecutors that are quitting because they think it's so unfair that to uh, like have to abide by legal process because it's it's not it's not the work they want to do. Like, discovery is like one of the most 
tedious aspects of like the legal process and they just don't want to do it but it when they don't do it that means that like people are deprived of their right to a fair trial so you know they didn't have to go to law school (laughs) something else if you don't want to do your job then go do something else (laughs) like (laughs) yeah yeah i mean uh i would imagine they're all just trying to go to a private firm where they can get uh paralegals to do it for them i guess i don't know but um then but yeah that. so huh then do that <laughs> yeah well yeah i mean uh fewer prosecutors i mean if you can have fewer prosecutors and that means that uh, there's less people in prison because of it i mean that wouldn't be the worst thing i guess it would actually probably uh, increase the prison population because if there were less prosecutors they would just keep people waiting for their trials longer but yeah um, yeah Well, um, hopefully by next week, we'll be able to talk more about the budget. Um, I was expecting our episode to run kind of long because we had those long breakdowns, but uh, paradoxically, it made everything go faster. So, um, Jess, you uh, (laughs) enjoy your uh, dinner that we're recording early for, and... uh, um, Thank you, as always, uh, to Iridian Falcone for uh, inspiring the podcast and our logo. And, of course, to my friend Vinny Alfano of Anonymous Hair Salon in Soho for our theme song. Uh, We'll see everybody next week. Bye.